Morning. Do I see any visitors? Any visitors this morning? First time? No visitors. Okay. Can you all see the board back there? If you can't, then you can move up. I'll just keep writing smaller. But this is my seat. Mm -hmm. Uh, we got about five minutes. Is there any questions about anything I taught last week? Anything that you maybe thought about through the week that I taught on, maybe was confusing or anything like that, just uh, now's the time to ask. Of course, we have time at the end, but, you know, you might forget what you were going to ask last week. Okay. Okay, before we start, I, um, I had mentioned that Bible study we do once a month. Uh, we we're going to do it the first Saturday of every month, which had been Mar March 2nd, but we we're actually going to move that to March 9th. 
following week. We had some scheduling concerns, and so we're going to do it the second Saturday for the month of March. Okay, and then Brooklyn is supposed to put out sign-up sheets in the back for that, for whatever you want. If you're going to come to it, it's potluck, whatever you want to bring to the study. Um, I think Carol's going to, she's going to switch it up this time, make a, was it a baked potato casserole or something? She don't like me embarrassing her, but, uh, you know. Anyway, so there'll be a sign-up sheet. Brooklyn will have it out there, and she'll put it in the bulletin. So that'll be, like I said, not the first Saturday, but the second Saturday. Yeah, sure, thank you. Uh, that, uh, let me put it right here. Uh, let's see. Can you hear me? Yes. It's just at Learn Bible, at Learn Bible, 1611. I think it's .com. I think it is. Is it? I don't know. So not, not .com? See, I don't even know my own. Okay. So it's just at Learn Bible, 1611. So that study, if you do, if you're not able to make those, we'll do it. And I'll record it, and it'll be on that YouTube channel there. Okay? And I think we're time to, to start. So, Brother Barry, would you open us up, please? Our fathers, we come your presence, Lord. We ask you to be with us today. We ask you to be with our pastor, strengthen him. Lord, you know the burdens that fall on our hearts this morning. And I thought we'd bring them to the only one that can do anything about them. Lord, I pray that you would be with my brother, so you put a hedge about him as he teaches. I pray, Lord, that you would give us receptive hearts, that you may take your precious word into our hearts and apply it to our life, Lord. And for all that you do this very day, we give you the praise for it, which in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you, brother. All right, we are uh, finishing up last week. Um, I think we left off in verse 16, talking about the conscience. Uh, I want you to back up to verse 15 before we get into uh, the rest of the chapter. And um, he says this, "...which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another." Okay, and so Paul in Colossians uh, 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, and vain deceit, and, root, uh, and uh, after the traditions of men, and the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And so there's rudiments, there's patterns that the world has, and there's traditions of men, which we'll get into. Um, but here's some, some things I wrote down here, some rudiments of the world, and as far as, notice what he says. He says, he says, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Okay, and we talked about that law of peccability last time. The uh, first, you have the presentation, then the illumination, the debate, the decision, and then the action. Okay, and that's how all the sin now that thing works. Okay, in your mind. Okay, and so you start either accusing or else excusing one another based on your conscience, right? And so here's the rudiments of the world, the patterns of the world. Okay, here's some things, and it's written kind of small, so I get you guys to suck up to the front, but that's okay. All right, so it says, you know, this is what, you've heard these things. We've always done it that way. Who's ever heard that one? Well, that's just the way we've always done it. Well, does that make it right? Okay, that's how those traditions begin to creep in, right? Well, we've just always done it that way. Well, you better check and make sure that that thing's correct 
not just going along with it because everybody, that's what they do. Everyone else does it. Who's heard that one? I mean, that's the way society pushes those things on you, isn't it? That's how you begin to slowly get away from the Lord and away from what the book says. You start doing the things the way the world does and the patterns of the world, the rudiments, right? A little bit doesn't hurt. Just a little bit of leaven. Just a little leaven doesn't hurt. How do you justify it? Because everyone else does it. We've always done it that way. I've heard that and I've, I've heard preachers say those things. Well, it's just the way we've been taught. What's the book say? Right? Well, you got to make a living. Got to make a living, preacher. You know. Well, I got, you know, I can't be there for this, so and so forth. And, and, and I'm not going to beat everybody up for, I'm not one of those preachers that just beats people up for attendance. But there's always something, you know, well, I, I just married a wife. Right? I got to go, I spot an ox, I got to go test them. Oh, yeah, I put some, I, I put some preachers on the spot one time and he got up there and preached the message about get out in the highways and hedges and compel men to come in. I said, okay, yeah. Amen, brother. Hey, we're going street preaching Saturday. You want to come? Wow, brother, I, I got a ball game. My kids got a ball game. Well, then don't preach to me about getting out in the highways and hedges. It's easy to preach, hard to live. Right? A lot of preachers make a living off that stuff, right? Uh, we know when to stop. I can put it down anytime. It doesn't have control over me. Any, anybody ever heard that one? Anyone ever been there? Yeah. The, the simple fact of the matter is you don't have power to stop anything. Okay, but that's some of the rudiments of the world and some of the things you've probably heard you've, you've said yourself, and that's how people justify things. It, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Right? And so let's flip the board and let's look at some rudiments of Christ. Now this ought to knock the Pharisee right off of you. And that's what Paul's about to do in this chapter, the rest of it. He's going he's to level the playing field as far as that Jew, okay, and that law. Number one, does it edify? Does it build somebody up? Okay, the, the, Paul said that the power that was given in, unto him was not for destruction, but for edification. To edify something to means to build it up. Does that make sense? Okay. Pastors talked about it before. Anybody can come in here who has a bunch of head knowledge and I can tear you down. Okay. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did in Jerusalem, isn't it? He tore down the walls, but then God sent who? Nehemiah to build them back up. To edify. That's what that means, to edify. So whatever you're doing, does it edify or does it tear somebody down? Because if the only thing you're trying to do is to edify or to, to tear somebody down, then that's not what the purpose was in the first place. The Lord said, I'd have mercy and not sacrifice. Amen? Is it right? Remember what we just talked about? Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, we've always done it that way. Is it right? Does it go along with this? I don't care what everybody else is doing. Is it right? Because when you get up to the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord's not going to tell you. He, you're not going to sit there and say, well, Lord, everybody else is doing it. <laughs> yeah, what would my book say? What would my word say? He said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Okay, and that's a, in a practical sense as well. Does it glorify God? Well, that's a good one. Does it glorify God? 
You know, I see a lot of things on social media that people put on social media that are Christians that I sit there and, you know, if you'd ask yourself that question before you hit send, that'd save you a whole lot of problems. Is what is coming out of your mouth, does that glorify God? Or coming out of your social media account, does that glorify God? I don't know, you ask the question to yourself. Okay? I think it would keep a lot of people out of, out of some, uh, some trouble if they'd ask themselves those questions before they speak, slow to speak. Or if they hit send. Get quiet. Okay. Can I ask God to bless it? Don't ask me. Can you bow your head over it and pray? God bless this thing I'm about to do, whatever it is. I'm just telling you. It's, it's tough, isn't it? Would I, would I want the Lord to find me doing this when He returns? I mean, they're simple questions. See, I mean, we can get into all the doctrinal stuff, but this is where the practical, this hits the heart. You know, this one here, it's like this story that I've heard many times, but you know, you got a young man and Mom tells him not to get in the cookie jar. Okay, does the, does the boy, does he love his mom? Sure, he loves his mom. She leaves, she leaves the house. As soon as she leaves the house, he gets up on the countertop, gets in the cookie jar. If you've got little kids, you know, because they got a sinful nature, right? Well, Mom forgot her keys. She walks right back in the door, and there's little Johnny, not, not Johnny Hayworth. But it could have been. But there he is, hands in the cookie jar. Does he love his mother? Yeah. But is he, is he happy that she returned? Not at the moment. Right? So you, you can ask yourself that. Oh, I love the Lord. Okay, that's good. But when he returns, is he going to find you doing something you're not supposed to be doing? Ask yourself those things. And some of the best advice I was ever given was make every, every decision in light of the judgment seat of Christ and you'll be just fine. That's easy to preach. It's hard to live. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to leave us up here for just a second. Um, I think that's pretty plain. Things to think about. Rudiments of Christ, rudiments of the world. Okay, notice he talked about the tradition of men. We're about to get into that. Look at verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel... We went through that last time. It's not just the death, burial, resurrection of Christ when he's saying my gospel. It's also the rapture. It's the revelation. It's the judgment, uh, the great white throne of judgment, Revelation chapter 20. All those things are encompassed in Paul's gospel. Okay? So he prophesied many times. But he says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. Now he's about to get sarcastic. And Paul could do that on, on occasion to make his point. Why? Because he's got... He's got these Judaizers coming in here trying to tell people, hey, you've got to keep the law to be saved. Got to keep the law. Got to keep the law. Okay? Now, we talked about last time. Am I going to erase this? Now, when we're talking about keeping the law, okay, that Jew was going about to establish his own righteousness. And Paul said there was righteousness in the law, but the problem was Nobody in the Old Testament before Christ ever kept the law. And you have to make this 
distinction, nobody ever kept the law 100%. Okay? Yes, they might have kept the law as far as the sac but the ordinances, the statutes, but when they'd sin, they'd have to have what? A sacrifice. Right? But nobody ever kept it 100%. You have to make, when I'm saying that those folks kept the law, yeah, they kept it as far as the best they could, and there was a, but that's why grace came in and there was a sacrifice. Okay, go back to Ecclesiastes real fast. You have to make that distinction because you don't want that, I don't want people to confuse that. Look at Ecclesiastes 7.20. Ecclesiastes 7.20. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And this is the argument Paul's about to, he's about to put on that Jew. Because why? They're going about, they're bragging about that law. They're resting, they're, they're bragging about that law, about them keeping that law. He's like, okay. All right, well, you didn't keep it 100%. I can promise you that. I can promise you that. Okay, because there's always something going on. Look down at, uh, look down at verse 29. Go back to Romans 2.29. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. So we're dealing with the inward man. He's about to start smacking people down about that inward man. What's going on inside that heart? All right. And so understand that. So there's nobody that kept the law 100%. Only Jesus Christ kept the law 100%. That's why he's this spotless, sinless lamb. That's why he could take away your sin. Go, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they, have, would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those things there is, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Notice the conscience again. They always had a conscience about that. They always had knowledge of that sin. He could forbear it. He could put it off year by year, but it could not take away sin. All right. Notice back in verse 1. Uh, could not make the comers thereunto perfect. You say that word perfect? That word does not mean sinless. That word means complete. Okay. All right, let's flip over here to uh, Colossians chapter 2 again. Watch this. And we just, I just quoted you Roman, or Colossians 2.8. Look at verse 9, Colossians 2.9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are what? Complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. See, once again, it's one thing to be declared righteous, okay, because they kept the law. It's a completely different thing to be complete having God's righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. 
You're complete in Him. That's the key. You're not complete without Him. It could never make the comers thereunto perfect. It could not take away sin. It just put it off year by year. So, you got these Jews going around resting in the law. Okay, fine. He's going to lay it on them. Let's go back to Romans 2. Now, who was the best qualified person to teach on this would have been Paul the Apostle. Saul of Tarsus. He had a doctorate in the law. Okay? Now, understand something about the, the law. Pastors talked about these things many times. Okay? The Torah. That's the first five books. Or the Pentateuch is, but the Torah is the law. Okay? The Old Testament. Okay? But then they had this thing called these rabbinical Jews, right? When the Lord shows up, he's talking about the traditions. These are the things they're going off of. Then they have the Midrash, which is a commentary about the law. Okay, you had a commentary about the law. And then you had the Mishnah, which is a commentary about the commentary about the law. Okay, and then you had the Gemara. Okay, which is a commentary about a commentary about a commentary, which is an Aramaic. Okay, and then you finally, this is what you've probably heard referenced many times, the Talmud, which was finished about the, I'll put it up here, between the 3rd to the 6th century A.D., Okay, all this stuff here was the oral tradition. And between the 3rd and the 6th century, they put this thing into writing, and it's about two, th 2 million words. Commentaries about commentaries about commentaries about the law. This is where you get things in there about, uh, you know, you couldn't uh, make more than two stitches on the Sabbath day. You couldn't, pick up a, you couldn't pick up anything on the Sabbath day. This is why the Pool of Siloam in John chapter 5... The man's healed of his infirmity, and he gets up, he takes his bed, his bed mat, walks with it. Pharisees are right there on him to catch him in something. What are they basing that off of? This stuff here. Not the Torah, not, not the Bible, the oral tradition. What do they do? They added things to the Word of God. Okay, so another good example is, let's, now let's go to traditions. Look at Mark chapter 7. Look at Mark chapter 7. Remember what Paul warned you of, tradition of men, philosophy, all those things, he warned you about those. Now look at Mark chapter 7. Look at verse 8. Well, let's look at 7. Happy in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's all that stuff there. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye, may, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth, curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And he suffer him no more to do aught of his father or his mother. What's he talking about? All right. 
Let's, uh, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 27. And I'm going to sum this up for you. What he, the context of what he's talking about. Now this is talking about offering a gift, vowing a vow. But look at verse 13 for, for sake of time. He's talking about redeeming a gift, right? But if he will at all redeem it, then he shall add a fifth part thereunto under thy estimation. So what, the, what they were doing to get around the law, okay, so this is, a, this is a person who has a father and mother who it's going to be more expensive for him to take care of mom and dad or just mother. Maybe dad died. So what's he do? Well, he's super spiritual, so he sells mom's house because it's cheaper to sell her house and just add a fifth part, okay, as it says in Leviticus, which is 20% to the sale price of that, it's cheaper to do that than it would be to take care of his mother or his father or both. Where'd they get that? Well, they just get the oral law that was given to Moses instead of the Torah, the written law. So in, in what are they teaching? The traditions of men. And that's what he's saying. You're making the word of God of none effect. Does that make sense? So that's what they were doing. See how, you know, see how shady that is? Well, I'll just sell mom and dad's house and I'll look spiritual and give the gift to the, to the, to the temple. But what you're doing is against the law, but you're getting around it, you're skirting it. That's what the lawyers were about. And that's, that's the kind of things the Lord was fighting against when he showed up in his ministry the first time and this man, he gets healed and they're, worried, they're more worried about him picking up his bed than the fact that he got healed. Now, don't we have some of our traditions of our own? You better believe we do. Well, you know, if you got a beard, you shouldn't preach. I guarantee some of these older preachers, right? I mean, if you're going to preach, you better have a white shirt on. Amen. Right? Um, what's some other silly ones I've heard? Say, when you don't grow up in church, you get saved later in life, you hear some of these traditions, you just, just blows your mind. Thank God he, he showed me the book, what it says, not a bunch of tradition. You know, a couple weeks ago, I had, before we started, I'd made the comment about uh, people railing on me because I was up here before the service and I was, I was sitting there fixing all this stuff and I was writing things and so on and so forth and the person is just railing on me. You can see the comments. Well, what I didn't, tell you is that that person is a former member of this church, former member who left here and he wants to see nothing more than this place be torn down and burned down to the ground. See, I didn't tell you that. Okay, but I'll tell you what about them. You wouldn't catch them in short pants. Oh yeah. They wouldn't be caught dead wearing shorts. But they'll tear me down. I'm the enemy now because I'm teaching te uh, at Temple Baptist. I'm the enemy. That's the kind of stuff that you deal with. So when I make a little comment, because it's comical to me, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. So don't think that you don't have a little Pharisee within you. Because you do. I got a little Jew in me. His name's Avi. I call him Avi. That little, that little Jew likes to rise up every once in a while and he likes to start being Pharisaical. And being a fruit inspector instead of a fruit producer. So that's what you deal with out there a lot of times. And it's that kind of stuff right there. But you won't wear shorts. 
but boy, you'll tear me down. You'll lynch anybody else up. Amen. Just thought I'd get that in there. You know. I don't think I don't sit there and hear that stuff. But that's the kind of thing. I mean, you could just take that up to modern day. That's what we're, that's what Paul's talking about. So let's get back in the text. All right, let's go back to verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and make it, makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instruct, instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light, to the, uh, a light of them which set in darkness. Now, let's stop there. Who is that? A light that's to them that set in darkness. Let's go back to Isaiah 42. See, they think they're the light, which there's a dual application, but they couldn't see the light. Who's the light? Jesus Christ. He said, I am the light of the world. Look at verse 6, Isaiah 42, 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant, for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. What's a covenant? It's cutting through, it's a testament. Who's, who's the New Testament? Jesus Christ. It's in his blood. See that? But they're saying, oh, I'm, I'm a teacher of the Gentiles. Well, you failed. The true light showed up. The true righteousness showed up. Everybody else, sit down. Take a back seat. Because real true righteousness has entered the scene. Amen? Okay? So he's, he's sitting there kind of giving them a... Like I said, he's being sarcastic. Go back to Romans chapter 2. And look at verse 20. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has a form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Now, we read that in Hebrews chapter 10, didn't we? There's a form of it, of knowledge, but it's not the very image of the thing. Well, what's the very image? Jesus Christ. He's the personification of, of the law, true righteousness and holiness. He's the very image of it. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself, thou that... Preaches the man should not steal, dost thou steal? Well, I've never stole anything. I've used this example before. Well, you ever left work early? Ten minutes early? Ah, it's Friday. I'm cutting out of here. Do you get paid for eight hours? Well, yeah, that's different. I mean, everybody else is doing it. A little bit won't hurt. Rudiments of the world? Yeah, you stole. You stole from the boss. Amen. There's that conscience coming back in. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Well, I've never committed adultery. Oh, well, contrary. Let's go back to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. Remember, we're talking about the inward man. Matthew 5, 28. Well, I know this is the Constitution of the Kingdom of Heaven. I know where this thing fits doctrinally, but you better understand this thing will smack you right in the face. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his where? In his heart. And that law of peccability? See, he's dealing with the inward man. Like I said, this thing, this thing right here will smack the Pharisee right out of you. Well, I've never committed adultery. Okay, I bet you have. Probably did it coming into the church this morning, you old hypocrite. 
Amen. See that? When the Lord came, I mean, he just, he just smacked him down left and right, didn't he? You know? Well, you haven't washed your hands yet. He said, you haven't washed your heart. Pass the salt. Put it in modern-day terminology. All right, let's go back to Romans 2. Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Well, I've never worshipped an idol. Well, I beg to differ there, too. Whatever you put in front of God is an idol. So you ever put yourself in front of God? Well, you committed idolatry because you made yourself the idol. <laughs> See, just, just levels the playing field, doesn't he? Oh, let's see here. Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles through you as it is written. Well, he's, he's talking about Isaiah 52, uh, verses 5 and 6, as far as as it is written. Okay, there's the reference, but let's look at David and Bathsheba. What did that sin cause? It caused people to blaspheme the name of God. Oh, Oh, that's, that's the guy after your own heart? Well, if that's Christianity, um, we understand that's Old Testament, but I'm using that today to say, listen, you can hear the law all you want, but you got are you doing it? That's what he's putting on them. Are you doing what, what the law is? Okay, you heard at Mount Sinai. You heard the law. Are you doing what the law says? If not, all the Gentiles are watching you at work, how you act. How you interact with other people? What you? What are you doing? They're, they're looking for you to pick up anything and, and steal just the smallest amount of anything. Because they're looking at you and saying, "Well, if that's a Christian, right? I, I don't want to go to that church because such and such goes there." Yeah. See, he can't. Satan can't. He can't do anything with your soul, but he can sure um, destroy your testimony. What do you think he was trying to do with David? And that's exactly what he did. Anybody here better than David? I'm not. I got the same flesh that he did. Albeit I'm saved, but I know that in my flesh dwelt no good thing. My flesh is not saved. My flesh is going to go back to the ground. I don't have a new body. I'm not saved. I'm not, I, don't, I haven't reached sinless perfection like some of these Pharisees out here have. Right? Oh, I've never... Oh. Like preacher said a couple weeks ago, yeah, there's some that would never cheat on their wife, they would never touch a drop of alcohol, but they'd string you up just as quick a look as as look at you. Amen. We're preaching this morning, aren't we? All right. Not a big fan of. There's good traditions. There's bad traditions. Anything that adds to the, to the to the book, it's not found in the book, is is not a good tradition. Okay. You have to keep those things in mind. That's why it's important to know the book. All right, look, let's go back to Romans 2. For circumcision, verily profit, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. That circumcision is given, Genesis, given in Genesis 17 was a sign between God and the Jew that they're his physically. But we have a circumcision that's where? on the inside. Let's keep reading. He's going to talk about this. And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. 
So I told you about last time in Matthew 12 how the Ninevites and the, and the Queen of Sheba are going to come up at the judgment. And they're going to judge that generation for what? For They didn't, rep they didn't repent of the preaching of Christ. The Ninevites repented of the preaching of Jonas, therefore they're better than, the, than those Jews in his generation. Because when he showed up, they didn't repent. He said, except thou repent, thou shalt all likewise perish. So he said, you're going to be judged by who? Them Gentiles, who you think you're better than. Because you're resting and, and you're, you're, you're getting puffed up because you have the law. Well, that's good. You've got the law and you've got light. But with that comes more accountability too. That goes for us today. I've got a lot of accountability on me because how much light he's given me in this book. Same with you. You know better. So it's, it's heavy as the mantle as it says. All right, so these, he said, It shall not the uncircumcision which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by, letter, by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God." All right, so this is not something that Paul just made up, which he is accused of by the Jews. Go back to Deuteronomy 10 real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 10. It's always a matter of the heart. Where's your heart at? It's not... It's not... What are you doing? It's why are you doing it? It's not what, it's why. That's what's tried at the judgment seat of Christ, your motives. Why, why were you doing whatever it was that you were doing? I don't care what you're doing, why are you doing it? Do all things heartily as unto the Lord. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. Look right here, Deuteronomy 10, 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. They were proud, stiff-necked. Circumcision was that of the heart, the inward man. Right? Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. be verse, uh, I think, 26, if you get there ahead of me. Yep, Jeremiah 9, 26. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the uttermost corners that dwell in the wilderness, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. Yeah, they were keeping the law, but they weren't doing it because they loved the Lord. They were doing it to establish their own righteousness. Okay, go to Acts 7, Acts chapter 7, look what Stephen preaches, look at Acts seven fifty one. 
Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. What they do to him? Pat him on the back? No, they stoned him. For what? Preaching the truth? Notice what he says, though? Resist? You do always resist the Holy Ghost? Well, I guess uh, our good old buddy Calvin. Irresistible grace. Remember that we talked about last time the tulip? I guess that throws that out the window. Do they resist the Holy Ghost? Just said it right there in Scripture. Would Paul reward you? Be more or less, amen. Spoil you through what? Philosophy. You know what Calvinism is? That's a philosophy. Can you resist the Holy Ghost? You do it every day. You do it every day. The Lord tells you to do something, you don't do it. Why? Because you're still in you're still in this flesh. Unless you crucify the flesh daily, you're going to give in to it. You know, you're going to yield to it. And what comes from that? Unrighteousness. Works of the flesh, which are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, on that line. And every single one of us is guilty of that. So therefore, when you're judging a matter, you better make sure that you got some of this sprinkled in. Mercy. Let's go to Galatians. Galatians. You got to keep a balance in, in your walk. You don't want to be ultra conservative. You don't want to be liberal like the Corinthians. You need to be balanced. Look at Galatians 6 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye words are spiritual. Well, there's the key, isn't it? Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye ever uh, bear ye another man's or another's burden, and so fill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. You think you're a big shot, you rest us in the law, thinking you're keeping it? You better consider yourself, lest thou also be tempted. I can't believe David would do something like that. And then the next thing, you find yourself in the same position David was in. Or Solomon. Or just go down the list. That's why everybody in this, I don't care which patriarch it is, they've all got a problem. The Lord just points that out. None of those men are 100% perfect. None of them. You can find sin in every single one of them if you wanted to. But then again, if you start looking at yourself, look at... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Talking about the Lord's Supper. This is what you're supposed to do at the um, Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat and, and, and eat uh, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What's he, he's talking about physical damnation. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. 
It's important that you search out your own wickedness in your own heart before you start looking at other people and it'll humble you. And you'll remember that God was good to you. The goodness of God leadeth to repentance. And you'll remember that God didn't, He did not deal with you accordingly after your own sin. So it causes you to have a little more, more empathy towards somebody else. Like he preached uh, Wednesday night about Peter. Peter had a good perspective, didn't he? See, I would, I'll, and I'll, I'll finish up here, but I'd rather take a bunch of Peters than a bunch of Judases. Give me the guy who's failed the Lord, who's been restored, who knows what it's like to have the Lord gaze at him and look at him like that and says, I'm not doing that again. Give me that guy. Okay, that guy I can talk to, that guy I can deal with. But don't give me the long-robed Pharisee who's never done anything, who married his high school sweetheart, everything went perfect, and everything's just wonderful, and I never touched anything stronger than buttermilk, and so on and so forth, right? Amen. I can't talk to you. You're not a real person. I don't, that stuff weirds me out. People start talking all super spiritual. I don't know what that is. That's a different language to me. I don't know. It's fake. Something wrong with that spirit. It's not how people talk. So give me a Peter. Give me a Paul. Give me, give me somebody who fleshed it out on the road, on the Romans road and dealt with real people. Those are the ones that are going to be able to help you. Amen? So, just wrap this up. Romans chapter 2, he just kind of levels that playing field for the Jew. We already, we already talked about, he, he talked about the Gentile. Okay? Now he just talked about the Jews in a mess. Gentiles in a mess. Romans chapter 1, all the way up to 2.16. The Jews in a mess. Now when we get into Romans 3, everyone is in a mess. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay? So that's a synopsis of Romans 1 and 2. We finally got through there. Okay? And we'll leave it there for now. Any questions? It's pretty practical stuff today. Which I think is... I love the practical stuff. Okay? You can have all your dispensa dispensations lined up and have a horrible disposition. And nobody will want to hear what you have to say. There's a lot of them out there. Unfortunately, a lot of them come from my so-called camp. Amen. That's true, isn't it, brother? It is. So, any questions? Close my Bible here. Should probably leave it open. Any questions? No questions? Okay. All right, y'all quiet. It's over. It's okay. All right, let's pray. Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time together. And just uh, we thank you for your word, Lord. And we just thank you for Calvary. We thank you for becoming righteousness for us because we, not, we could not ascend up to heaven where you came from. And we just thank you for the blood of Calvary. We just thank you for the sacrifice made for sinners. We thank you for, love, for loving the ungodly and saving the ungodly. I thank you for saving me first and foremost, foremost Lord. And we just uh, pray for the service this morning. Pray for the choirs that come up and... And glorify you, Lord, and pray for our pastor. Just continue to strengthen him, lift him up, put a hedge of protection about him and his family, Lord. And we just thank you for this day. Lord Jesus' name we pray. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. All right.
Temple Baptist Church of Fountain City this morning. If you're visiting with us, you are our honored guest. Uh, we're going to be doing the congregational uh, out of the church channel, page 333. You can get ready, but Sister Vivian, where are you at? Oh, has <laughs> got a few announcements. You come on, sis. Good morning. I just want to announce, uh, I have two announcements, I hope that's all. Okay, so uh, Pennies for Life is going, along, uh, going on, and you see where children are going around and uh, asking for money, and that's for Pennies for Life. And we're going to continue that through the uh, March the 3rd, the first Sunday in March. So uh, we appreciate all the donations you give, and we uh, thank you very much. And that will go for education information uh, for Pennies for Life, for Tennessee Right to Life. Also, and plus they're having a little competition between the classes, okay? And uh, this Tuesday, um, February the 20th at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall, we will have a guest speaker, Sammy Cooper, and she's with the Image of God. Uh, she uh, works with people that are trying to get abortion in Bristol, Virginia. And she may work with other things, but she's going to come and talk about her ministry. And it's open uh, to men and women. Everyone's welcome to come. And uh, we are having Taco Tuesday, so if you will sign up on the um, in the foyer if you plan to come and if you want to bring something, we'd be happy to take it. <laughs> so that's this Tuesday. And uh, be praying for that meeting. Be pray for, praying for that uh, speaker. Uh, we have a friend that had to be admitted last night in the hospital, and he has a fever, and he has uh, lipedema in his feet. He has liver issues, has heart issues. He's, he's just going through so much, and his name is Ed. Would you all just pray for him? Thank you. All right. Let's have the choir to head in this direction, and uh, we'll begin our worship service this morning. And I, I don't know if uh, the men caught what Sister Vivian said uh, just a minute ago. Usually, you know, the men are not welcome. Uh, they don't go to the women's meetings. But since they are having tacos, uh, they may, they, you know, probably needs to be some security there. And uh, so I'm going to pray about it and see what the Lord would have me to do concerning that. All right? <laughs>
good to be here. <laughs> good to be anywhere, hallelujah. <laughs> if you're visiting with us first time, raise your hand. We'll give you a card, let you fill it out, drop it in the plate. Folks back here, anybody else first time? All right, a hand in the back over here. All right, you folks back here, where you all from? Uh-huh. Morristown, good. Beautiful in Morristown. Sure is. That's where I learned to fly. Behind you? Where? Auburn, Alabama. Auburn. I've been to Auburn. It's nice down in there. Let's see. You got Auburn, then you got Alabama. Now, which one's Alabama? <laughs> All right. Back here on the back. Where? Macon. All right. Macon, Georgia. Sure. Good to have you. All right. Amen. How many glad you're here and not nice see you? Amen. Amen. We meet again tonight, 6 o'clock evening service. It's been a rough few days, but God's brought me through it, and that's the main thing, brought me through it. Hallelujah to God. Amen. <laughs> it's very exciting to have an ablation done. Y'all try that sometime. <laughs> hey, brother.
first, second, and last. <coughs> Thank you.
Let's stand up, fellowship, and shake hands as the choir comes down. seated. We'll have the ushers come up here. We'll take up the morning offering. Now don't forget that meeting Tuesday. You're welcome to be here at 630. It'll be good. This lady's coming down from Bristol inform you about what an abortion. What is an abortion? To abort a child. Brother Benny Joslin's in here this morning with us. He had a heart attack while he was shoveling snow the other day. And uh, it's been quite a quite a Endeavor, but you made it today. Amen. Man, we had a prayer and a half the other day. Yes, we did. Praise God, brother. Amen. Father, Lord, I thank you. You brought me here. You've kept me safe. You've touched this old body. You've given me strength and you've blessed me beyond what I ever deserved. And Father, we thank you for Benny Joslin. He's here today. Lord, you know my heart. You know my special requests on my family. You know the need there, Lord. Call that out to you. And Father, many in this house today, they've got needs. They've got sick loved ones, lost loved ones. Their Father, they've got problems. And Heavenly Father, we bring them to you, not with empty words, Lord, and vain promises, but with the truth of your word. There's power in it. We believe it. Take hold of it. Embrace it. Receive it to ourselves. Act upon it. And we know, Lord, that you will honor your word. You will. I don't have to tell you to honor your word. You'll honor it. It's your word. Father, bless it. Bless those that give, our Father, today. Bless those that learn to give, those that are learning, our Heavenly Father. Lead them into it. In Jesus' name, amen.
music. Shelley Lee is going to sing for us today. knows it or not but it's called I never knew how it felt but I know now and you only know that is when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because without that you have nothing so y'all pray for me just listen to the words of the song the disciples gathered in the upper room that day to await the spirit that was coming down like a mighty rushing wind he filled each one of them within i never knew how it felt but i know now i never knew how it felt but i know now i never knew how it felt but I know now, I never knew amazing grace could flood me right here in this place. I never knew how it felt, but I know now. Kneeling on my knees, I asked the Lord to help me. Take my cup, Lord, fill it up. <laughs> Please do it now. Then it started <laughs> in my feet. He filled me up <laughs> full and complete. I never knew how it felt, but I know now. I never knew how it felt. But I know now I never knew how it felt But I know now I never knew amazing grace Could flood me right here in this place I never knew how it felt But I know now good, Shelley. Amen. If you think you've learned it all and know it all, you're sadly mistaken. You better believe it. I've learned some things in the last few days, learned them, experienced them, I'd never experienced before. Turn to Hebrews 11 with me now this morning. Hebrews chapter number 11. And verse number 6. Hebrews 11, 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Father, bless this holy word now, Lord. Give me unction to send it forth. Use me, Father. In thy holy name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
I'd like to clarify something this morning as we get into the message, make it very simple. I'm not God's high sheriff, and I am not God's district attorney. I'm his messenger. Amen. That's my responsibility. That's as far as I go. And if you know anything about life, you understand the other two that I mentioned certainly have a needful place. No question about that. Honorable positions, no doubt whatsoever. But that's not my calling. I'm called to be a messenger. And what I find the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, quite remarkable thing if you study your Bible. Because you'll realize, as you know Scripture, that the people that are mentioned here are anything but uh, a lot of the, their life great champions of faith. Truth of the matter is, many of them had to be brought to that place. But what you'll find here in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, well this, this is important, is that God does not point out their failures. What he does is point out the uh, accomplishments as the hand of God begins to move in their lives. And this is a great lesson we learn in life. If we really learn that lesson, let it write in our soul. We'll learn something about life and we'll learn something about each other. Uh, if you're a great champion of faith, you didn't do that for yourself. That was something that God worked in you. He that worketh in you to do and to will of his good pleasure is what the scripture says. If you have faith today, it's not something you found. It's not something that you produced. You certainly can't buy it. It is something that comes only from God. It's the gift of God. The Bible says, the entrance of thy word giveth light, giveth understanding to the simple. And these are the very basic foundations of what faith is all about. The greatest faith that anyone will ever have is what he said in Jeremiah chapter number 9. He said, let him that understandeth knoweth me. And that is the greatest thing that any of us will ever know, and that is to truly know the Lord. Do we really know him? Do we know who he is? Do we know something about his character? Do we understand how he really deals with men? For the Bible says the ways of the Lord are not our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways, and his thoughts than our thoughts. God Almighty has made you in his image, but you're not him. There's so much more that we'll ever know and learn about the Lord. If you notice, the Bible said Jacob was an heir of the promise. And uh, this scripture, that's a great thing to say of Jacob. But if the Jacob that I know, he was also a usurper. He started taking, clawing, climbing, hammering, kicking people out of his way to get what he wanted. Now, maybe you've known Jacob or maybe you are Jacob and you haven't learned that lesson yet. But Jacob allowed God toward the end of his life to begin to see the hand of the Lord moving in places where he could have never done it. And so we find in Hebrews chapter number 11 that even though these are the great heroes of faith, and they are, this is not to denigrate them in any matter. It's to use them as objects of teaching and lessons that can be learned. It's not what Jacob was that God was so much interested in as it was as to what God was going to make him and what he was going to do with him. That was far more important. Take Sarah, for example. When she stood in the tent and heard the Lord speaking to her, her husband Abraham about the fact that she would have a child, the Bible said she laughed. That laughter was mockery. No way in the what are you talking about? Why, it's crazy. You're ridiculous. This is crazy. But you see, the Bible teaches us very clearly, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And uh, it, it takes us a while to learn this in our lives, but the spirit is 
everything, not part of it, all of it, because the spirit is the very life giving essence to whatever you lay your hand to. You lay your hand to the work of God with the wrong spirit, my dear friend, what you may be doing may be altogether right, but it's still going to come to naught. It's going to die in your very hands. Sarah, the Bible said, received strength because she eventually trusted God and allowed him to do something in her life. Look at Moses. He chose the time to deliver his people. He thought the time was right. An Egyptian was smiting a Hebrew. So he smote the Egyptian. I'm sure that in his mind he had every right to do what he did. But then he was surprised to find out that they weren't ready to receive him. Not then, because the timing of God is everything. Maybe you have smote an Egyptian. Maybe you have raised up your hand in the service of the Lord and found that you were rebuked and it didn't work. Well, my dear friend, don't quit. The timing is everything with God. It may be on down the road, the future, where God begins to move in your life and in your soul. He argued with the Lord there at the burning bush. Said, oh, you, Lord, now I know you're a good God, but you made a big mistake this time. I am not eloquent. And of course, uh, you know, his brother was eloquent, but his brother didn't have any spiritual discernment, did he? No, it's not how you can blabber. It's what goes on inside the soul. Lord said, I made you and I gave you your tongue. But you see what happened was Moses was a man with a temper. He had a temper. And I, I've got a little temper. How many of you got tempers in this house today? You got a temper? Well, I assure you, most people have somewhat of a temper. They can get mad. I mean, it, it's kind of good to see somebody sweat every once in a while. They're still alive. Amen. <laughs> yes, but you see, that temper got him into trouble. And God and Moses got into all kinds of problems. But you see, the Lord said to Moses one day, I'm going to write another book. I'm going to take their name out of this book. I'm going to blot them from this book. And here's what Moses said to the Lord. He said, all right, you take their name out. You take my name out. Oh, it made God mad. No, it didn't make him mad. Oh, no, 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 no. No, he that searcheth the hearts and the reins. Here's what God said in his soul. I got me a man that's willing to die for his people. Oh, yeah. Doesn't get any better than that. This is an intercessor. I got my man. That's what God said. You see, he tries you. He tries you to bring out from you what's hidden within you. And some of you have things hidden within you this morning that have never been touched. There are parts of your life that have never been touched by the hand of God. But when he touches it, dear friend, don't rebel against him. Don't kick against him. Don't run from him. Come to him. Call. Call upon him. Fall at his feet. Ask him to help you and he will. Well, because you see, my dear friend, the truth of the matter is most of us are enthroned upon a throne in our lives. It's us that's enthroned. Oh, we give Christ lip service. We talk about him. We sing about him. We know how to worship. We've got it all organized. We've got the flashing lights and the loud music and the drums and all the rest of that. But the truth of the matter is... Until Christ is enthroned in your life, you're going to have a lot of struggle going on. And for the Apostle Paul said, for to me to live is Paul and to die is gain. Did I, did I mess up on that? For to me to live is what? Christ and to die is gain. So God's got to kick me off of my throne. Amen. 
Oh, yeah, preachers get on thrones. You got some silvery-tongued, holier-than-thou, you know, with medals hanging around him to the floor, all the titles that men can hang up on somebody, and all of this, and he struts his stuff before. Remember this. He puts his pants on the same way you do. Yes, he does, and he's the same inside his soul as you, and so am I, and there is no difference. There's only one that deserves our praise and our worship. And he sits upon the throne. God found his man, Saul of Tarsus. He persecuted the church. He did. He drugged them to Jerusalem, bound to be stoned to death. My, what a hard-hearted, cold individual. But you see, the apostle Paul was changed. He was changed because he came into contact with God. And here's the thing he said. He said, I'm willing to go to Jerusalem and die for this gospel that I preach. In plain words, Saul of Tarsus says, I'm willing to go to Jerusalem and die for the very God that at one time I persecuted. Amen. Can he change you? Oh, yes, he can change you. You say, well, I'm trying to change. Quit trying to change. All you'll do is create another devil just like the one you are. Did you hear me? Quit trying to make something of your life and create your own righteousness and fashion yourself after God and this and that and this and that. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of the Lord. Let him do a work of grace inside your soul that only the Holy Ghost can do. And you'll see a change take place in you that you could never do yourself. Amen. Did you hear what I said? It takes the grace of God working in us, the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and he'll change you from the inside out. And once he has changed you, the change will be permanent. You'll take no glory for it. David is listed here as a champion of faith, but who was David, king of Israel? David was a king. He was the, he was the, he was the shepherd king of Israel. David was an adulterer. We know all about that. He was a murderer. We know all about that. And, but you know something about David? One of the greatest passages in the Old Testament, truth of the matter is it lays it out more than any other place in the Bible as to how a sinner gets right with God. The 51st chapter of Isaiah, it's David. God used David, this man, to show you what it's like to get right with God. I mean, point after point after point. And I have seen many people go to where David got right with God. And that, my dear friends, is a mark of a hero. But the heroes that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 are all flawed human beings. Every one of them. And until you're willing to take your place with them, you'll never be worth a dime for God because you'll be fully yourself. You'll be walking around with self-righteousness. You'll be promoting your accomplishments. It'll be all about you. And that's all people will ever hear and see when they get around you. You will, boy, I was really impressed with him. He's a great man. We don't need great men. We need a great God. Amen. Great men are dying every day, folks. Amen. And, the, and, the, and their worshipers are, are certainly taken aback. I mean, well, this greatest of all, the greatest preachers that built the greatest churches in the greatest work for God, how great they are. What are we going to do when they're gone? We're going to come back to the one who made it all work to begin with. That's what we'll do. Amen. Here's what it says in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. 
He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord is God is with the Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Who said that? Balaam said that a prophet. Did you know that Balaam wound up be, uh, being killed in battle? But Balaam prophesied many truths. Truths, yes, he did. And his truth here is this: when Balak tried to get Balaam to curse Israel, and Balak was an enemy king, and he tried to get this prophet to curse Israel, the prophet said, "I can't curse what God has blessed." And but here's the greatest thing about it: it is then when the Lord spoke through him, he said, "I have not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel." Now wait a minute, what's going on here? I mean, what's wrong here? What, what do you mean he hasn't seen uh, iniquity in Jacob or perverseness in Israel? This brings out a Bible principle that's one of the greatest truths that you can learn in Scripture, folks. If you can latch your hands on hold of what I'm about to say to you, it'll change your life. It really will. It'll change your attitude toward God. God is not out to get you. He's not out to beat you to death. He's not out to jerk the rug out from under you. He's not out to curse you. If God be for us, who can be against us? You remember those that broke the Sabbath? Yes, they did. Picked up sticks, stoned to death on the Sabbath day. The Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament said the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. In plain words, the man is far more important than the Sabbath day. Amen. I would that people get a hold of that. That's what he said. That's what he said. But in the Old Testament, before the grace of God came down upon men to teach them a truth that they burned into their soul, a man simply picked up sticks on the Sabbath day and he was stoned to death. They murmured. Israel murmured. That's a sin against God. They complained about the manna, the manna, a type of Christ. They said, our soul doth loathe this light bread. We're tired of it. You ever get tired of Christ, dear friend? Where are you going? This that's man is a type of the Lord Jesus. You see, my dear friend, we preach the ministry. We preach the buildings. We preach the money. We preach the accomplishments. We preach the people. We preach us. We preach self. But we don't preach Christ. And this is what God has burned into my soul. If nothing else, he's, he's burned this. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. My dear friend, I hope you never get here tired of hearing about Christ. Because if you ever get tired of hearing about Christ, you'll get tired of hearing me. Because I'm going to preach him. I'm going to preach him as long as i got breath in this body. Because he's the one that deserves to be preached. They complained about the manna. And then they brought God's motive into reproach. Think about it. They said, have you brought us out into the wilderness to kill us? To die? Why did you save us from Egypt? To bring us out here to starve us to death? That is reproach upon the, upon the, upon the ministry, upon the, of the motive of God. What do you think God saved you? Why do you think he made you? What do you think you're here for? Have you ever noticed how that these people out here that talk so much about how great man is are all the time putting you down? Have you ever noticed how that this one standard after another standard after another accomplishment after another definition of beauty after another, another definition of this and this? It is constantly, constantly changing. They're laying before your eyes something that you can try to attain to, how great you can be. They have you worshiping people all the time, don't they? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. You just noticed in the last few weeks 
A certain name keeps popping up, popping up. A certain singer popping up, popping up, popping up. This singer, singer, singer. This woman, singer, singer, singer. That's all you hear. And you got these people that are her groupies, that are her followers. And that's all they think about is her. And some of you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Amen. You see what I'm saying? Why? Why is she any different from anyone else? Don't you think there's a motive behind all this? Sure there is. It's to control your mind, to control your thinking, to control you. And that's what it's all about in the world. That's not the way God works. That's not the way he operates. Embracing pagan gods. These be thy gods, O Israel. That's what they said. When Aaron spoke to them and said, these be thy gods. Apis the bull. Here he is. Worship him. And like I said a moment ago, you do not go to Aaron for spiritual discernment. You go to Moses for spiritual discernment. Amen. Not, I'm not saying Aaron wasn't a good man and a believer. He certainly was. But you go to Moses, the servant of the Lord, for the spiritual discernment. He rebelled against God's appointed leaders. Dathan, Coram, Korah, and Abiram rebelled against the authority of Moses. Hath not God spoken to all of the people? Certainly he speaks to all the people. My dear friend, the order and structure of a church, just like the order and structure here, is that God gives authority and responsibility to certain ones, and he holds them accountable. Amen. Amen. And, but they rebelled against that. Be very careful with human reasoning. Very careful with it. Numbers chapter 22, verse 23, verse 22 says, God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it should be said of Jacob and Israel, What hath God wrought? Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink of the blood of the slain. God made you for a purpose. You see that part that you see. Then there is the part that the adversary sees. Then that part that God alone can see. I'm glad that God knows me better than I know me. And I'm glad in spite of the fact that God knows me better than I know me, that God hasn't rejected me for some failure that I'm going to do in the future. Digest what I just said. Some of you think that you've got to live a perfect life. And I mean, whatever your definition of perfection is, by the way, which is all relevant. It depends on what crowd you're with and who you're dealing with. That's all a relevant thing. It's meaningless as it can be. But the bottom line is perfection, righteousness, and holiness is divine. It's of God. You can't perfect yourself. But the truth of the matter is you're going to fail somewhere down the road. You're going to sin somewhere down the road. You're going to do something down here that's going to be, that, you're going to be, that, you, that you wish you'd never done. He knows that's going to happen. But does he remove himself from you because of that? No. No, 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 no. He made you. The shepherd leads his flock and he leads his dear children. Only God can see. You see yourself, however faintly uncertain, unknown, but Satan sees a victim. Pray, another conquest. But God sees completely. He sees the full you, the parts that make you and learn as you travel this road of life. You learn more about yourself. I suffered the other day, the worst I've ever suffered since I've been here 77 years. I hurt like I'd never hurt in my life. Never. For a while, I was hurting so bad I wanted to die. I'd never hurt like that in my life. 
Some of you ladies that had babies, you know what it is to hurt, don't you? Raise your hand. You go through the valley of the shadow of death. You fear that, I mean, you know, well, I hurt. I'm not saying I was having a baby, but let me tell you something. <laughs> I hurt. And you know what brought, came out of that? A closeness to God. A closeness to God. I learned something about God in that, about my flesh and about God that I couldn't have learned in any other way. There are things, my dear friend, that you must experience or you'll never learn them. I'll tell you something else it did for me. It moved in my heart and my soul. It gave me more of a compassion, more of a feeling, more of a help, a understanding, a prayer for people who do hurt. Yeah, yeah, it gave that to me. I didn't give it to myself, but it gave it to me. And this is the, li this is the life we live. This is, this is what's called chastisement. Don't get all messed up with chastisement to think that God's whipping you and beating you for something you've done. That, that could be one part of it, but chastisement is teaching instruction. He scourges every son that he receives. Did you get that? Everyone. I never understood. There was not one time I was convicted of something I'd done, but what happened to me was I learned a lesson. You know what that did, folks? That qualified me for a ministry that I can minister in now that I could not have ministered in before. Let me say it again. That qualified me for a ministry. When somebody tells me they hurt, I say in my soul, I know what it is to hurt. I mean, I know what it is to hurt. Four hours in surgery, and you come out of that surgery, buddy, and they haven't prepared you the way you should have been prepared. You're hurting. But God was there with me. And so I pray. Lord, how mercy do I pray. And it drew me closer to him. Now, it could be that I walked out of that and got mad at God and blamed him, you know, got bitter, you know, full of vitriol and hatred. That happens to a lot of people, doesn't it? Has it happened to you? Don't let it happen to you. When these things happen to you, draw closer to God because he's in it. Nothing can happen to you. Nothing can happen to you except God's hand is in it. Satan could not touch a hair on Job's head without the Almighty's permission. Build a wall around him, the devil said. It means that the devil had already tried, hadn't he? But he had to get God's permission. He sees completely the full view, the road you're going to travel. He sees the purpose you were put here for. You're here, you see me, this is my purpose. I'm fulfilled, folks. This is my life. I mean, I piddle around with stuff, but this is my life. This is what I live. What is, your, what is your life? How many of you know? How many of you really know that you know that you know you're living the life that God wants you to live? Amen? Blessed are you. <laughs> you are blessed. You're blessed. Yes, you are. You're blessed. Because there are those who do not know. They're in struggle. They're, you know, they're, they're in strife. They're trying to find the will of God. That's all right to try to find the will of God. But I'll tell you how to find the will of God. The simplest way, just draw nigh to him. Draw nigh to him. Fill your life full of him. Fill your life full of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I've tried the, by the grace of God to receive the grace of God in the last few months to let the Lord Jesus Christ come more alive inside of me than he ever has been before. To live about him, to talk about him, to pray to him. Let the Lord Jesus Christ be everything that I am, that I need. He's my mind. He's my soul. He's my spirit. He's my hands. He's my life. He's everything there is about me. It's got to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a wonderful thing to think that your mind is the mind of Christ. And think of that. And that, my dear friend, has given me strength. And that will give you strength. And that's the kind of strength you have to have. You can't generate that kind of strength. That comes by faith. He sees the road you'll travel and where he'll direct it. And then he sees your failures and your triumphs. And he hasn't rejected you, has he? No, he hadn't. No, he hadn't. No, he hadn't. I'll move along quickly for you. First Peter chapter number four and verse number eight says, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Boy, did you get that? Did you even know the Bible said that? Now, it doesn't say that charity condones a multitude of sins. It says it covers a multitude of sins. Why? Well, he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock so that his glory could pass by. He has a place for us where he allows us to come close to him. <laughs> Are you listening? To come closer to him than you could ever come to him if you let him do it. You say, well, preacher, God won't have fellowship with anything but a perfect man. Well, then forget it and die. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Because you'll never be perfect in this world, but he's perfect. And I hide my life in Christ in God. You remember the message I preached about the other day about that? Satan can't see your life and Satan can't hear your prayers if you keep them silent. Covers. Dear friend, God knows you much better than you know you. Deuteronomy 32, he found him in a desert land in the waste howling wilderness. Boy, did he ever find me there. And he blessed him, and you can read all of that when you get home in Deuteronomy 32, 10 through 18. But in verse 15, it says this, but Yeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Here God had blessed him so much, and he's blessed me. God's been better to me than anybody on the face of the earth, <laughs> and God has blessed me more than anybody. Now, how many of you did that make mad? <laughs> How many of you in here would say, no, wait a minute, preacher, you're getting a little carried away. He's blessed me more than he's blessed you. And, well, that's good that you say that. God's been good to me. Has he been good to you? Amen. Amen. He's a good God. He's been good to me. What have I got to complain about? This is what he's talking about. But here's the problem with us. Even in the midst of blessing like that, we can turn around and kick. See, notice he said, but you're sure and waxed fat. He filled up. God blessed him. Some people can't handle money. You just can't handle it. You can't handle it. Some people can't handle prosperity. They can't handle it. Some people, but you should be able to, but you're not ready for it apparently. But the bottom line is that Israel could not handle it. And the Bible says they kicked. That word kicked is used of an animal that is stubborn. You know what he said to Saul of Tarsus? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You tie animals up. You hobble them. Well, this is what God said. God said, I had blessed you. Then I, you kicked. You t 
turned on me. You got fat. And then he said, I tried to, I tried to move in your life and you kicked against it. And this is what happens when God begins to do something to help you. He may make it uncomfortable for you. It may hurt. You may, you may, it may, you may not like what's going on, but he's in the midst of it. I don't care how great the storm. I don't care how black the day. I don't care how much hell comes into your life. He's in the midst of it. If you know him. Amen. Amen. If you know him. This is his heart. Let me preach his heart to you. Hosea 4.17, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. That's what he said. Now, Israel was separated into the ten northern tribes, two southern. Ephraim is a, is a term for the ten northern tribes. They became apostates sooner and longer. But he said, they're joined to idols. Let them alone. But then you get to Jeremiah 31, verse 20. <laughs> and here's the heart of God. And he says, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Did you hear that? <laughs> I spake against him, but I, it doesn't end with words. He said, my heart moves for him. Now, dear Christian friend, do you know the Lord Jesus? Have you ever been born again? Where are you today with him? How are you following afar off? Are you just, are you just floating around? Are you just drifting? Let me tell you something. His heart, his heart is moving and stirring for you. Yes, it is. And when he reaches out for you, it's going to be in a hand of love. It's going to be eyes of love. And he'll reach for you and he will. He said, since I speak against him, I do earnestly remember him still. <laughs> what about that? First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, I can get into 1 John. We don't have time for it. But I hope you can see how this connects directly with 1 John. 1 John, where it says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, but what he's talking about in 1 John chapter number 1 is the essence of it, the beginning of it, before, it's ever, before, before it ever becomes a deed, before it's ever practiced. You see, sin doesn't come from out there in here. Sin comes from in here out. It originates in the heart. And this is where God deals with it in the beginning. If he can deal with it in the heart and purge it from the heart, then you don't, you don't practice the deed. You don't commit the deed. If you don't commit the deed, 1 John chapter number 2 is not necessary. Because the Bible said in 1 John 2, if we commit, if we com com commit a deed and so forth, we have an advocate with the Father. Even Jesus Christ the righteous. In other words, once you've done it, it started in here. And communion and fellowship with God didn't get rid of it. And you go ahead and forcefully do it. Then the Bible says you have an advocate with the Father. That's the second stage of it. And why do you need an advocate with the Father? Because you've got a devil who's the accuser of the brethren who wants to destroy you. That's what this is about. That's what it's about. It's about communion with God. You know what the Bible says over there in 1 Peter? It says if our heart condemn us. God is greater than our heart. In plain words, we know that we've committed a sin. We know there's something wrong. And we, but even though Satan condemns us and tries to destroy us with it, we also know the character of God. We know that God will forgive. We know that God will cleanse. And we know that God will restore. Now, did you get that part? Because if you get that part, you can get the next part. <laughs> 
Let me say it again. If our heart condemn us, all right, all right, we have, if our heart condemn us, we also know this, that if it condemns us, that we know God, and that we know God will cleanse us, restore us, and that condemnation of the heart is not the final word. Then he goes on and says, but if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence with God. That's the second stage. In plainer words, if you know you're clean right now, nothing between you and the Lord. There's no issues going on. What do you mean by issues? You're not doing something that you shouldn't be doing. You know why it's real quiet in here right now? You're listening. You're getting a hold of something that you hardly ever hear from anywhere else. What I just told you is that sin originates in the heart and that God will allow you to cleanse it, purge it, before it ever becomes a deed. But once it becomes a deed, something that's committed, then your heart will condemn you because your fellowship has been broken. Okay? The Song of Solomon has two places where fellowship is broken. And I won't get into it with you this morning, but I'll just kind of put that out there to you to think about. The fellowship is broken. Heart condemns you, all right? And when it does, that purpose is to bring you back, to confess it, be forgiven for it, and cleanse it in the blood of Christ. Amen. How many agree with that? But, the apostle says, but if our heart condemn us not, what does that mean? That means that we're walking in fellowship. But you're also listening to God. There's no way in this world you'll walk in fellowship with God unless you're listening to Him and talking to Him. And if you're walking with Him in fellowship, that heart doesn't condemn. And there's peace and there's joy and there's rejoicing and there's power and there's victory and there's a future for you. And this is what He wants for you. But if it does condemn you this morning, my offer to you is a very simple one. It's what he said in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess. All right, that word confess is from the Greek word hamalagia. Hamalos means of the same. Lagia, word. So we agree with what God says. If we confess our sins. He's faithful and just for, to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You mean I don't have to crawl from that door up here and do penance and give this and burn that? No, no, that's been done. He doesn't want you to add anything to what Christ did at the cross. That's already been done. You simply agree with God and let the work of the Holy Spirit by grace work in your heart. And receive and accept what he did for you on the cross. And say, Lord Jesus, I've messed up again. But I agree with you. I know, no, you know, no excuses. Not blaming anybody. Accepting my part in it. Lord, forgive me. You do that. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That could have been done before it ever happened inside the heart. But once it happens, and it happens to all of us. We don't always all, always make it in 1 John 1, 8 and 9 and 10. It happens. But if it has happened to you, then confess it and he'll cleanse you.
from all unrighteousness. What did I offer you there? I offered you hope. I gave you forgiveness. I didn't try to beat you to death with it, did I? But I didn't make excuses for it either. I told you that it can be forgiven, it can be cleansed, and you can walk out of here with joy in your soul and fellowship with the Lord. Bow your head for a minute. Father, I gave them what you gave me. You've been good to me. I can't, there's no way in this world, Lord, this morning that I could count the number of times that I've had to do exactly what you said in 1 John 1, 9, to confess my sins. And I'm sure that in the future I'll have to do it again. No question about that. I'm not, I don't set myself up here before anybody as some holy man. Lord, I'm a believer. I love you. <laughs> you know that. And I want to live for you, and I want to serve you. But I want to, I want to learn what the spiritual truths in Scripture, how, what, what, what does it mean? How does this work? And I, may, I pray that this, I got this across to these dear folk this morning. If there's somebody in this house today, Lord, that's beaten to death, Satan has beaten them to death with their sin, and they've tried and tried and tried, and they can't get victory over it. Lord, show them that the victory is not what they do. The victory was won at Calvary. And what they have to do is simply receive Christ into their soul, His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy, and His cleansing. And the victory is theirs. In Jesus' name. While heads are bowed, nobody looking, anybody raise your hand and say, Preacher Lawson, I want you to pray for me. I don't understand everything you've said, but it's beginning to move in my heart. God bless you. It's beginning to make some sense to me. God bless you. God bless you. Hands up going up everywhere. Thank the Lord. Amen. God bless every one of you. Every one of you. I'm a minister of the gospel, folks. That's what I am. That's what I do. Like I told you at the beginning of this. I'm not the sheriff and I'm not the district attorney. Attorney, I am not here to convict you and I'm not here to arrest you. I'm here to help you in the grace of God. Father, I pray for the hands now. Pray for every soul that went up. I pray you'd bless them. Move in their spirit. Move in their spirit, Lord Jesus. In thy righteous, righteous, righteous name I pray. Hallelujah to God. Amen. Let's sing, brother. Stand up with me this morning, folks. Stand up. to be the clay. Amen. You let the Holy Spirit move in your heart and do the work of grace in your soul that He wants to do and it'll change your attitude. And once your attitude changes, your outlook on life is going to change. He's going to give you a positive attitude. That's exactly right. Positive means that you're looking into the future for the one who opens the door of the future, for the one who can do great things in your life, for the one who can do things. Instead of wallowing around in self-pity and self-condemnation, living in the past, why don't you press on, press forward, press on to the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Why don't you look to the future? Look to what He can do for you and with you. Amen. Satan wants to beat you to death. Christ died for you. Let's sing another verse.
attitude. Your attitude is all important. close with this this morning. I was raised by my grandparents, and most of you, you know that. My grandfather was born in 1878, and uh, he died in 1969. They had three sons, three children that died early in age, uh, two children that were two years old or under. I don't know exactly how old they were, but they were young boys, Herschel and Homer. Then they had a son that lived to be 12, and his name was Fred. These were all my uncles, but I never knew them because they didn't live long enough. But they lost three children. Three. But I never heard them accuse God. I never saw a bitter spirit toward the Lord because of it. Just the contrary. They were believers. And they accepted that. Life was harder back then than it is now. You remember when St. Jude opened up? They said one in five of the little children that come in there with cancer survived one in five. Now it's four in five that survived at St. Jude. Yeah, if you wanted to support something, St. Jude would be a very good thing to support, believe me, because as people bring their little children down there with cancer and they don't charge them a dime and they've got some of the finest uh, doctors and technology in the world working for them. Yes, it is. That's something to think about, something to pray about. You see, Life today is not as hard as it used to be. Not as hard in a lot of ways. In New England, there's an old stone on top of an old grave on a grassy knoll. The date's there, the name's there. And here's what it says on that stone. It says, And she was so pleasant. That's all it said. She was so pleasant. And that was a time when women had a hard time of a lot of things in life. Yet her attitude was what they remembered her by. Your attitude is what people will remember you by, is the way you treat each other. Your attitude toward God. If you let God do a work of grace in your heart, he'll change your attitude. He will. He'll make it better. And your attitude will have a direct effect on the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And folks, we have to have the Holy Ghost to do anything. Amen. I don't preach another message. I preached enough. <clears throat> but thank you for listening. Amen. Let's pray for each other now and bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Michelle, you, you told me, you gave me something a minute ago and I plumb forgot what it was. What was the other thing? Oh, yeah, thank Barry. Amen. <laughs> I can't remember anything, brother. <laughs> I couldn't make it here Wednesday because I had that ablation Tuesday, and I'm in pretty bad shape Wednesday. But he feel, he's met my right hand. This brother right here has helped me. You wouldn't believe how much Barry McDonald has helped this preacher since he came in. He's an answer to prayer. I firmly believe that, no question about it whatsoever. Amen. God bless you, brother. 
Let's have prayer and we'll let you go. Don't forget now, 6 o'clock this evening, evening service. Tuesday evening, come to this meeting we have. This lady coming from Bristol. And, uh, and uh, uh, Caitlin Clark now is a direct connection. Where's Caitlin? Caitlin, God's moved in her heart and given her a ministry up there. And she has a burden for that ministry. And, uh, you know, that's the way God does things. That's the way he works. And she, uh, and, and it's through her that we have the contact with this lady up there. And she'll be coming uh, this coming Tuesday. So you all keep that in mind. Let's pray. All right. Yes, sir. All right. You're going to have prayer at five. Is everybody welcome? Doesn't matter who you are. Amen, brother. Saved or unsaved? No, it doesn't matter. Lost people are welcome to all prayer meetings. Oh, yeah. Brother Abner, will you dismiss us, please?